Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on July 8th of 2012 under the headline Quest for Lost Cabin Gold Mine Led to a 12,000-Acre Jewel. Here we go. Hang around a group of gold miners long enough, and sooner or later, but most likely sooner, you will hear a story involving a lost gold mine of unfathomable richness located close by a lost cabin that folks have been looking for for the last 150 years. Depend on it. Among gold mining stories, the lost cabin mine has become a cliché like the bug-eyed monster in science fiction or the Jessica Fletcher type in murder mysteries. Every state that has a gold mining history has at least one lost cabin gold mine story. Oregon has at least four, probably a few more. The earliest of the lot dates all the way back to the heyday of the California gold rush in either 1849 or 1850 and ends with the discovery not of a gold mine but of a jewel, a deep blue 12,000-acre jewel that we know today as Crater Lake. The story starts off in Wairika, California. By the way, there are definite elements of folklore in this tale, particularly in the origin part, which I'm about to tell you now. It seems that one of the well-known miners in the Wairika area came back to town from his summer's adventures with an enormous poke of gold, which he immediately got busy, quote, squandering happily and readily, as author Ruby L. Holt memorably phrased it. His chief method for doing so involved strolling into one of the saloons and hollering, set him up for the house, and with that he'd toss his poke to the bartender and then bask in the appreciation coming his way from all of his thirsty friends, whose number multiplied exponentially as the winter went on. He did this so many times that the good people of Wairika took to calling him set him up, and the nickname stuck so hard that his real name is, as far as I've been able to learn, lost to history. The next spring, set him up headed out again, and once again he came back in the fall with a creakingly heavy load of gold, which he used once again to keep the entire town's hard-drinking population warm all winter long. The regulars in Wairika, who by this time were finding the local diggins increasingly stingy, were very interested indeed, but for a fellow so loose of purse, set him up was remarkably tight of lip. Rarely did he allow himself to get far enough into a bottle to forget what he was doing, and on those few occasions when he did, he didn't say much. But he did, in one of those unguarded moments, say that his mind was up in Oregon, not the playing-out hills of NorCal. He had a cabin up there, he said, and every summer he'd go stay in it and work the phenomenally productive diggings around it. That spring set him up, packed up, and headed north, and was never seen again. And throughout the cold, hard, thirsty winter of 1853, the townsfolk talked a lot about their missing benefactor. Thing was, he'd clearly got his hooks into a very attractive piece of real estate. If he'd come to some tragic end falling off a mountain or soaking up a couple bullets or arrows on his way to or from the mine, why, that was unfortunate, but it meant that somewhere out there an ownerless mine of phenomenal value was just waiting for somebody to come take over. 
So several Wairika miners put their heads together and tried to figure out where exactly this cabin in Oregon was so that they could go forth and uh, adopt it. One old miner said he'd been drinking with Setem Up one night and been told where the place was. And yes, he said he might be able to lead the group to it. And so in the spring of 1853, the group packed up and set out. The posse got a little bigger at Table Rock City, which is now called Jacksonville, after one of the Wairika boys got a little drunk and talked too much in a saloon. Some of the witnesses decided they were going to join the party whether they were invited or not and started following the Wairika party as it headed northward. Unable to shake the Oregon miners, the Californians finally agreed to team up with them and continue the search. Well, they never did find the lost cabin, nor the mine, but they did find something else. On a hunting expedition, combing through the mountains of southern Oregon in hopes of finding an animal to eat, one of the Table Rock City prospectors, John Hillman, was riding a mule along a high ridge when the animal suddenly lurched to a stop and would not budge. Hillman looked down and saw that the beast had come right to the rim of a huge crater with a brilliant blue lake at its bottom. Quote, Not until my mule stopped within a few feet of the rim of Crater Lake did I look down, Hillman wrote later. And I firmly believe that if I had been riding a blind mule, I would have ridden over the edge to death and destruction. In that moment, John Hillman became the first person of European descent to lay eyes on what we now know as Crater Lake. By this time, though, the party's provisions were exhausted and the men were getting weak with hunger and there was nothing for it but to go back to Table Rock City. On the way back, they talked about the lake, debating whether to call it Mysterious Lake or Deep Blue Lake. Well, back in Table Rock City, the other miners considered this a total bust. They didn't care about some stupid lake. They wanted the gold, and that had not been found. Also, the local Native Americans were restless, and perhaps having heard some rumors of how their counterparts in Northern California were being treated, increasingly hostile. Table Rock City had other fish to fry, so Deep Blue Lake was forgotten about until nine years later when it was rediscovered by another party. As for the Lost Cabin gold mine, well, there are people out there still looking for it today. So far as anybody knows, it has never been found. But then, if you found it, would you tell anyone? Got an editor's note here to finish the story off. As originally told, this story blends well-documented facts, the discovery of Crater Lake by a party of miners looking for the Lost Cabin gold mine, with a folkloric version of the legend of the Lost Cabin gold mine. After talking about it with Southern Oregon gold country expert Kirby Jackson, I decided to add this note to make sure that it's clear where the legend ends and the documented facts begin. The main source for this account, Ruby L. Holt's book, tells the story similarly and may very well be correct. However, there are several different versions of this particular lost cabin gold mine story, and there's no way of knowing which, if any, of these stories inspired the Wairika miners, if indeed they were from Wairika, to start northward in search of it. In fact, the Wairika miners themselves are part of the folkloric part of this story. All we know for sure is that Hillman and his party of miners left Jacksonville looking for a lost cabin gold mine, and were doing that when they stumbled on Crater Lake. According to Kirby, a more popular version of the lost cabin gold mine story goes like this, and I'm quoting from Kirby's note to me here. Quote, One day a strange miner dragged himself into Jacksonville. The miner looked like he had seen hell, for in addition to his clothes and boots having been reduced to rags, the man was also dirty, wounded, and starving. This man related a rather fantastic story to the miners who took him in. The story he was told was that he and a partner had discovered rich diggings about a day's hard ride over the mountains from Jacksonville. 
As the gold appeared endless, the two men had built a cabin for purposes of staying for the long haul. However, it was not long until the miners began to receive regular irritating visits from some local Indians, and as such they were forced to take turns taking watch, and adopted a nightly ceremony of burying their day's gold in the dirt floor of their cabin. Despite their vigilance, one day the miners were ambushed and the storyteller's partner was mortally wounded. After a few days, the wounded man succumbed to his injuries and as the remaining man buried his partner in the floor of the cabin next to the gold. Realizing that his situation was now dire, the remaining miner slipped out of the cabin and made a run for it. During his escape, the miner engaged the Indians in a running fight and though he survived, he was subsequently wounded and lost his belongings. By the time he reached Jacksonville, he was so delirious from fatigue that he seemed to have little clue about the direction in which he came or where his diggings had been located. Best guesses at the time pointed to three likely vicinities for the location of the cabin and its cache, which included the headwaters of the Applegate River, the vicinity of Wairika, and finally somewhere just beyond the Cascades. As you will have gathered, gold miners and prospectors make some of the finest storytellers in the West. If you're interested in more stories, by the way, of this wild and colorful aspect of Oregon history, I highly recommend Kirby's book, Gold Dust, Stories of Oregon Mining Years. As for this article, key sources in it have included works by Ruby L. Halt, Rick Harmon, and CraterLakeInstitute.com. This story was first published on July 8th of 2012, under the headline, Quest for Lost Cabin Gold Mine Led to a 12,000-Acre Jewel. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.